Revival is not something to be taken lightly. Over the history of our faith, we can point to many instances of genuine revival amongst communities of faith. As diverse as the specific instances may be, there are generally similar circumstances surrounding these occurrences. Hunger for God, desperation, stagnancy in the faith, adverse situations, all that to say, is there any reason why revival couldn't happen now? Join us today as we continue our series called Revival Stronger Than Ever. Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Wills, lead pastor at Venture Church in Bellevue, Nebraska. And as always, so thankful that you are joining us today. And we believe you are where you need to be at this moment in time. And we are always praying that God will give you a reason, a purpose of why he has you where you are. So, uh, first of all, you know what, um, I can't believe, um, it's that time of year already, man. It's June. It's almost father's day. Um, almost hitting the middle of summer here and, and man, it's, uh, just, just awesome. And, uh, so glad that, uh, I get an opportunity to talk to you and, uh, I just really hope you are enjoying this series. Uh, it's a longer series than we normally do. Um, you know, it's going to be six weeks total. Uh, this is week number four that we're going to be talking about today, and, and I'm just excited what God's doing with with this series. Uh, we've had a lot of feedback of how um, thinking about revival within our own personal lives as well as within our nation, um, what we can do um, to help recreate or or not create because God creates that revival, but to help the revival along to to actually uh, maybe even be a part of something. Uh, really unbelievably great, you know, like uh, a God thing, right? Uh, and so I, I appreciate all the feedback and and uh, I hope you'll continue to enjoy uh, our topic and our series. So as we dive in for week number four, uh, just let me share you a story um, uh, one of, of one of my most uh, vivid childhood memories. Um, it was an afternoon in sixth grade, fifth or sixth grade, um, and I remember my friend and I were, were coming out of our school, and uh, it was this uh, narrow hallway that we, we would exit out of, and uh, they were actually doing some small construction, just kind of redoing some things in a couple of rooms and, and, and things like that, and we noticed as we were leaving that day that there was this bar that had we've never seen before that was about, oh, eight feet or so off the ground, just just low enough to and high enough to where we could you know reach it if we jumped to grab it and so we said you know we should do that let's just grab and run and see if we can grab it and swing on it or whatever and so on the count of three we ran and we jumped and grabbed that bar and about a second later we discovered that bar wasn't just any normal bar it was actually a sprinkler pipe under a tremendous tremendous pressure and the pipe burst and as it burst we we went and flying and fell to the ground and water was just coming everywhere. I mean, 
everywhere. It was it was unstoppable, and, and we just didn't know what to do. We were looking at staring at each other like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? You know, type of thing. And and the only thing we can think of is is just to run home as fast <laughs> as we could, and that's what we did. And and luckily, uh, we did get in a little bit of trouble. At least I did. I got a little bit in trouble uh, with my dad, um, but not as much as I thought I would because the school was kind of apologetic because they were uh, agreeing with the sense that probably shouldn't have been there and that construction uh, company probably shouldn't have had it just sitting in the open like that or, or, or whatever. So we didn't get as much trouble as I thought we would. But but either way, we sure didn't know what to do without seeing that water come rushing out and everything. Well, today I want to introduce you to a man who, who did not know what to do, uh, but his situation was a lot more serious uh, than mine and my friend's. Uh, uh, situation. He's a he's a man I'd like to meet someday. Uh, he's the son of Asa, the King Asa, uh, that we talked about in last episode. Uh, his name is Jehoshaphat, and he was the sixth king in the line of David. And Ezra, our teacher, who's been uh, teaching us uh, through this series, introduces him to us this way in Second Chronicles seventeen three through six. He says, "The Lord was with." Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father David before him. He did not consult the balls, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Judah or of Israel. Sorry. The Lord established the kingdom under his control and all of Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. And so if you've ever been in a tight spot, or if you've ever been in a place where you didn't know what to do, or if you've ever felt like you're facing an enemy who is bigger than you and could destroy you and all you hold dear, Jehoshaphat will be your hero. I promise you. And it's because Jehoshaphat faced all of that and he humbly confessed, I don't know what to do in front of God and everybody. And yet he did exactly the right thing eight times in a row. And let me show you his story. It's in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, and so if you have an opportunity to open up a Bible to look and follow with us today, that would be awesome uh, and, and be great. Uh, but you can also read it later. But I'll be reading all of it to you today. So um, it, it'll, you can just listen and, 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 and take part in that way if you want to, too. But let me tell you about Jehoshaphat before we, we kind of dive in. Jehoshaphat was... 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, for, for 25 years. And Jehoshaphat's story spans two years and a bad marriage. And I'm going to tell you about the bad marriage next week because it almost wrecked the kingdom and almost ruined God's plans to send a Messiah through the line of David. And so don't, don't miss next week's episode. Uh, the story begins with Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 2, and I am going to read from the NIV today. Uh, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites, with some of the Munites, uh, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hezazan, uh, sorry, Tamar, that is in Gadi. Um, and so, um, basically, the Ammonites, Moabites, and Munites, or Edomites, however you however you look at it in, in historical terms, but they all lived on the east side of the Dead Sea, where where um, Engedi lived uh, was on the west side of the river. 
okay, or on the uh, Dead Sea, I apologize. And, and, and so their nations had been conquered under David, all three of these nations. And, and so now at this point, they're rebelling. Okay? And, and just so you know, their army and the size of their countries were way bigger than this place called En Gedi. Okay? So how would you feel if you've got word that a huge army, much bigger than your own, was coming to get you? What would you do? Well, let's look at what Jehoshaphat does in verses 3 and 4. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So what did Jehoshaphat do in his dark moment? Because this is a dark moment for him, because he's, he's worried about you know, all these armies coming upon him, and he knows he's probably going to lose because he just is not as big as these three uh, nations' armies. And, and so um, he does several things. Okay, And so we're going to look at those several things, uh, and we're going to call it the lessons from Jehoshaphat's dark moments, Okay, and, and there's several of them. So I'm going to go through all of them today. Um, it's not as long as you think it would be, but uh, pretty simple and pretty quick. Okay, The first one is, uh, in those scriptures, we learned that he resolved to seek the Lord, right? Well, last week, we learned God's promise to Asa, his, his father, that the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him, right? And so at the first sign of danger, Jehoshaphat sought the Lord because he sought the Lord in all things. His, his father taught him well, right? He told him about who God was, and, and he believes uh, it as well. He's, his heart was fully devoted to the Lord. And so I'm going to ask you this question again this week. I asked it at the end of last week's episodes. How's your heart these days? You know, who or what is it devoted to, right? Because his heart was fully devoted to the Lord is yours, right? Now, the second thing he did in these verses is he called for a fast, right? To deepen his commitment. He called for a fast. And when you fast, you constantly are thinking about food, which means you're constantly reminded that you do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the third thing he, he, he did in this, uh, in these verses we just read, is that he gathered the people, right? Gathered the people. Jehoshaphat uh, gathers the people together because there is strength in numbers. And he knows this because he knows there two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. And we know from New, New Testament scripture that wherever two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, there he is in our midst, right? And then Jehoshaphat does a fourth strategic thing that we're going to read about, and that is he prayed, okay? He prayed. That comes from verses 5 through 12. Listen to what it says. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said this, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it, to the, to, give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague, or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. 
But now here are men from Ammon, uh, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us in an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Here we have Jehoshaphat reminds God of who he is, right? That's pretty bold, right? And he reminds them of what he's done for them in the past. He says, you rule with power, and you've been there for all the descendants of Abraham. And then Jehoshaphat affirms their commitment to the Lord by saying, we built your sanctuary. We, we worshiped you there, and now we're crying out to you from there. And then he presents the problem. We're being invaded by people we had, had once had mercy on, right? And he calls on God for justice by saying, will you not judge them, right? He's reminding God that his reputation is on the line. That's, that's, he's trying to remind God that he has this reputation, and, and, and he knows it, right? And it's, that's pretty gutsy. Now, the climax of Jehoshaph, Jehoshaphat's prayer is, is a prayer that I've prayed a hundred times over, right? He says, we do not know what to do, but we look to you. And that prayer works on every occasion, right? I don't know what to do but I'm going to look to you, right? So what is God's answer? What do you think God's answer is? Well, let's, let's, let's find out. Verses 13 through 15. He says, All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benani, uh, the son of Jael, the son of Mantaneah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph. And he stood in the assembly. So Jehaziel is a prophet, okay? And he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Okay? So here's my question for this episode. How many times have you faced something terrible and felt like you were all alone in it? You know, how many times if you had to deal with something horrific or just painful, right? And you felt like just nobody else could be going through this. I'm all alone in this, right? Let me share something with you, friends. If you are committed to the Lord, if you are wholeheartedly devoted to him, if you have said, Lord, live your life through me and I will live for you for the rest of my life, then the eyes of the Lord are on you to strengthen you. The battle you are facing is not yours but God's. And then Jehaziel continues in verses 16 through 19. He says, tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the, the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeril. Okay, You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And so Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. And then some Levites from Kohathis and, and Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Isn't that good stuff, right? These, these verses show us a fifth thing that Jehoshaphat did. 
And it's this, that he led the people in worship. That's another lesson that we can find in Jehoshaphat's dark moments. He led the people in worship. They stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel loudly, right? So what do you suppose happened the next day? How many Israelites do you think died in in this battle? Well, let's find out. Verses 20 through 21. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they sat out, uh, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you'll be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about the power of singing, but meditate on this for a moment, okay? They all sang, right? They all sang. And the Lord's going to hear them. Because here's what happens, okay? Verses 22 to 23, it says, As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. They attacked one another. Apparently, there's a hidden power in singing, right? There's a power in praise. Something happens when we use our voices to make a melody to God. And you might consider this the next time you're in trouble. Start singing, right? Or maybe the next time you're in the shower. Man, praise God, right? Because the sixth strategic thing Jehoshaphat did was, in his lessons, was he appointed people to sing. He appointed people to sing. Who would have thought that a major move to defeat an army would involve music and voices. You know, that's like a Hollywood musical written right there, right? Now, bear in mind here, Jehoshaphat and all the people don't know what's about to happen or what has happened on the, on the battlefield. They don't know. Did you notice that? They, they weren't even there yet. They haven't arrived, right? They're, they're just marching along singing. Look at what verse 24 says. When the man of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. Here's the story. And this is a true story, right? Once upon a time, there was a big bad army coming against the, God, the people of God. The people did not know what to do, but they resolved to seek the Lord, right? And then they gathered together, they fasted, they prayed, they heard a word from, uh, from God, from one of his spokesmen, and then they worshiped. And then they began to sing, and, and God performed a miracle. He ambushed their enemies, And the people lived happily ever after, right? But wait, like any good story, there's more, right? Verses 25 through 26. So Jehoshaphat and his man went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. This is why it's called the Valley of Baraka to this day. Baraka, that word Baraka means blessing. The place became the Valley of Blessing. And so this is Jehoshaphat's seventh lesson on his moment of darkness is he did this. He blessed the Lord, right? And the rest, as they say, is history. Okay, let's read about the rest of the story. We're going to finish up our reading for the day. It's 27 through 30. 
Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. This is the revival under King Jehoshaphat. It, uh, it's a terrible disaster uh, that looks like it's going to ruin the nation. Nobody knows what to do. But one man, the king, stands up and says, I'm going to seek the Lord. He asks the nation, the nation to join him in fasting, in, in gathering together, and, and joining him in prayer. And ask God to deliver them. And God answers through Jehaziel, I've got this, he says. The battle is mine. I invite you to come and watch. And the people believe, and they bow down to thank God in faith for what he's going to do. And they rise up and praise him with singing. Early the next morning, they sing their way to the battlefield, where instead of having to engage the enemy, they find out that the enemy has engaged themselves. And so the people help themselves to the spoils, return home, and hold another worship service. And then they enjoy the eighth and final move, the final lesson from Jehoshaphat in his dark moments. He said they did this. They rested. He rested. They enjoyed the peace that God gave them. Ezra, who chronicles this story for us, is teaching us about how to rescue a nation. We've been talking about a revival for several weeks right now and being stronger than ever. And he is showing us lessons from Jehoshaphat that shows us what a revival is. And the first one is this, that God is available and attentive in your darkest moments. You need to hear that. God is available and attentive in your darkest moments. You are not alone. God is there, and God is aware. Ezra is also showing us that, that prayer is more powerful than any enemy. Even when we don't know what to pray for, right? Jehoshaphat's prayer is one of the simplest yet most profound prayers in all of Scripture. He just says, we don't know what to do, but we look to you. It's in Second Chronicles 20, verse 12. Paul in the New Testament says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. But we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. Romans 8.26 When you're in a dark moment, you don't have to have the solution to your problem. You just have to remember who does. We don't know what to do, but we look to you. And so I want to encourage you to memorize that. We don't know what to do, but we look to you, God. It will work for any occasion. Whenever you don't know what to do, you look to God, right? We look to you. In the story, there's also a third lesson that Ezra is showing us about the revival, and that is this, that God is able to turn whatever comes against you against itself. He can turn trials into triumphs, failures into learning lessons, and enemies into friends. God can take anything that is coming against you and use it for you because he is for you. <laughs> That's it. He's for you. And so the last lesson Ezra is teaching us through Jehoshaphat and the revival is that this, that God can turn evil into good. 
God can turn evil into good. In Romans 8, right after telling us that the Spirit prays for us when we don't know what to pray for ourselves, Paul says this, And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. Jehoshaphat's enemies thought they were coming to steal, kill, and destroy. They didn't know that they were actually coming to turn over their personal possessions to the Israelites. Here's the deal. Today, in this time frame, we're worried about losing our jobs. We're, we're losing, worried about losing our loved ones, right? We're worried about um, our health. We're worried about our finances. You know, we're worried about the, the, the world's economy, right? We're, we're, we got gas prices going up like crazy, right? We're worried about equality. There's division amongst races and religions and non-religions and everything, right? We're worried about politics. Some people got so stuck in their head that this guy, this president, is going to be our ultimate savior. And we know that that's not true, right? Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Listen, folks. There is no one better to turn to in our time of need than Jesus Christ himself. In our darkest moments, he is the one who will give you rest. Amen. This concludes another episode of Venture Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and we hope you'll be back next week as we continue in our series called Revival Stronger Than Ever. We'll talk to you soon. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast and Venture Ministries, or you'd like to help support us financially, please visit us at venturechurch.ch.